When you see a guy reach for stars in the sky, you can bet that he's doing it for some doll. When you spot a John waiting out in the rain, chances are it's insane like only a John can be for a Jane. When you meet a gent paying all kinds of rent for a flat that can flatten the Taj Mahal, call it sad, call it funny, but it's better than even money that the guy's only doing it for some doll. While these words were written in 1950 and are foundational lyrics for a play called Guys and Dolls, the theme is universal. It is the story of adults with goals, dreams, and aspirations of love, of life, and about seizing the day on the path to happiness and fulfillment. But what if we hummed a different tune? What if you heard the words written in 2020 that went something like this? I dreamed about Broadway, stage left and right, the music, my dancing, the opening night. I'm ready to dance, ready to sing, ready to shine, ready to zing. Are we all Broadway babies at heart? At a time when theaters are temporarily shuttered and fans, artists and theater workers are missing live performances. A book called Broadway Baby charms with a whimsical love letter to Broadway. Broadway Baby celebrates the importance of theater and creativity and encourages children and theater lovers of all ages to create and be whatever you wanna be, whoever you are, wherever you are, and remind us and all the readers that even the loftiest of dreams can come true. Our guest this evening is the author of Broadway Baby. He is also the co-founder of an organization called of Freedom Theatricals. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. On Talk Radio 77 WABC, I'm Chuck Garcia, and my guest this evening is indeed the co-founder of Freedom Theatricals and author of a beautiful book called Broadway Baby. His name is Russell Miller. Russell, welcome to the show. Hello, Chuck. Thanks very much for having us. This is well, exciting. No, it's great. It's great to have you here. And uh, as I opened, you know, I couldn't help but think as I read through Broadway Baby, and I thought about the impact that Broadway has had on so many of us that grew up in another generation. And the 1950s, particularly the show Guys and Dolls, which I know you had some involvement with in some capacity, and we'll explain in just a second. Really, we looked at Broadway in theater, often in musical theater, as a time of hope as a time of aspiration, what could be in our lives. And here we are now in a time that is unprecedented and profound uncertainty. I love that you wrote this book because it spoke to the creative nature in all of us. Just to begin, can you explain the nature of the book, why you wrote it and who you wrote it for? And then we'll get into your background. Of course, yes. And it was so nice to hear that little excerpt from the from the opening of the book there as well Chuck thank you for that um, the book has really been a wonderful tonic actually in this crazy time that we're living in right now albeit it wasn't actually written for these times um, the book was actually uh, really driven from uh, necessity I think probably is the best way to describe it my producing partner Corey Brunish is a three-time Tony award-winning producer and has been involved in theatre for many, many years. And he and his wife, Jessica, uh, just last August had uh, a beautiful baby girl, Olivia. And I was looking for a gift for them uh, as, as, the new, as the new thing that was very pure, very authentically theatrical, that would be something that they would share together and keep forever. And so I think having spent some time trying to find that 
ideal theatrical gift, I couldn't find it. And I knew that it needed to be a book. So I was looking in earnest for a theatrical book and there was nothing out there, nothing out there that really spoke to me in a way that was as pure and authentic as I knew it could be. So I set to writing it. And, um, and that was how Baby was born, really, out of the necessity of, of wanting a you know, very theatrical gift for my producing partner. Indeed. So if there is no store out there by which you could find the gift to purchase, what the heck? I'll just create it myself. But was when you started to author the book, and while the origin of this may have been a gift to Olivia, was the, had COVID come upon us quite yet? It really hadn't. And, it, and you know, we had, I had never imagined what was going to happen. You know, I, I, I wrote the book, first put pen to paper, you know, in, in August of last year. Right. And really, you know, things moved very quickly once I'd sort of had some conversations about, you know, what I wanted to do and, and saw that there was potential in there and a, a, agreed a deal for, for publishing. But it wasn't really until you know, this year, obviously, that, that COVID hit. And so really what the book had started out as, as a fond look at what we were enjoying and, and you know, could enjoy on the, on the day to day as, as, you know, Broadway and, and theatre in general across the world, um, suddenly shifted to being something that we were then looking back at with, with very much a fond heart saying, I wish we still had this thing. So whilst it didn't really change the concept of the book at all, uh, or, or, or make it something that was COVID pandemic related, uh, it had to change slightly in terms of what it was really meaning at the time. Because not only that, obviously, with all of the theatres closing, we were suddenly in a position where, you know, this, this was a, about supporting the community as much as anything, which is obviously a, a massive part of, of all of the conversations at the moment where, you know, so many people are out of work and nobody really knows when theatre is going to come back. But certainly not, yeah, as I say, not written for that specifically. Well, I appreciate that because as, as a theater goer, myself and my family, we certainly have a culture of that. What I really appreciated it was there was that whimsical sense of creativity of the, of all of us are babies, so to speak. And we grow up not with a, a device in our hand, but we grow up as very creative beings. And yet we feel like so much of that live theater now has been taken away from us. So thank you for writing. And I think it, it arrived whether it wasn't strategic, but it arrived at a time that is a message that I think can speak to so many of us on the creative side, just wanting the creative things to come out in a world where somehow it's trying to keep us from there. Thanks, Chuck. I, and, and I think I certainly agree with you. I think the timing of this, whilst you know we would obviously rather not be in a pandemic, being able to provide something that gives a little bit of warmth and comfort right. at this time uh, is actually a really good thing, I think. And you know, whilst it is a children's illustrated book and, and, you know, we're really looking at it from four years plus, it's actually a very lovely book for everybody. And, and if you're a theatre fan, it actually does really tick a lot of boxes in terms of, of the things that we're missing at the moment. And it is, you know, the general narrative socially, politically, especially in these very difficult times, not just from a pandemic position, but from a political position. These are the, the times where we lean on entertainment, we lean on theatre to be able to make commentary and, and that we're missing. And whilst there are other means of entertainment and a lot of people are adapting well to that in terms of, you know, streaming and, you know, obviously the, the likes of Netflix, which has, you know, 
television entertainment is all still there and still good, but we're missing that live and that visceral, you know, in the moment uh, opportunity. And, and, and that, you know, we don't know when we're going to get that back. So I really, you know, there is a, a big part of me that hopes that the book is provides something that fills the void at least a, li a little at this time. Well, we appreciate that. And, you know, like in any great big crisis, sometimes things emerge that help to take the sting out of it. But while I love the Broadway baby and the theater illustrations and narrative that you have here, this is a story of transformation. And you have a particularly interesting background that integrates the very best of what could be live theater with the world that has shifted to a much more technical one. Take us back to either your theater roots or when you got into this business, what did you set out to accomplish? Sure. I mean, I think when I've, I mean, I've, I've been in theater my whole life. My, my family are all theatrical people. My father was a, a technical manager in, in the theater that I grew up in. And my mother was an actor and uh, director and also looked after the National Drama Festival uh, regionally in the UK. So I've always been a part of the theatre and grandparents and all of that. So I think it was very much something that was kind of destined to be, you know, <laughs> on, it was destined to be on the cards. Well, it's, in your, DNA for, it's in your DNA for starters. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And so I, you know, I had lots of different ideas about what that might look like especially when I was younger and I was performing and I wanted to do that and then I, I sort of hit a certain age and realized that wasn't what I was going to do so I ended up doing some things backstage and and just sort of fell into all different sorts of roles from lighting and sound to stage management to uh, finally administration and sort of found something that I really really enjoyed I mean I enjoyed it all because that's all I've ever really wanted to do. And I've been very, very fortunate to be one of those people, one of those annoying people <laughs> that do the job that they love. But, it, but it's, it's been great. And it's really given me the tools, not just to you know, produce now, having been running theatres for, for many years, but now to sort of embrace a book that is authentic and, and is you know, true to you know, theatrical root uh, and all levels. So, and just on that for a second, the lovely Judith, Judith Proffer, who wrote the book with me, she is a, a big theatre buff, really, really, uh, you know, big into that. And that provided a really good balance from my professional experience in being in and around theatres, running theatres for 25 odd years now. You know, from, from that perspective to her perspective, we've really managed to get the balance right, I think, in terms of what makes a book you know, appropriate for theatre fans and theatre professionals as well. Yeah, you have a really interesting turn or ascension. I'm not exactly sure how to categorize it in your career because your theatre background, that of mixing the arts, the entertainment, helping people to have a couple of hours of getting away from their lives and sitting in the theatre, you ultimately came into developing shows, i.e. the Olympics, something that all of us around the world sit back and watch. How did you make that transition from theater into what was the production of these big events? Well, it was, I mean, it was a, it was a wild journey, that, that's for sure. I never really had imagined that I would be moving into sports events. I'd, I'd always been a big fan of the Olympics, a, a really competitive athlete as a, as a young man. And so, I'd watched it all, you know, very fondly. And having been working in the theatre for so many years and there was a big restructure in the business and I just decided it was time to do something different. And with the Olympics then starting to stage early, 
and you know everything starts to to get together sort of in earnest sort of three years out and so when you look at the two disciplines you know theatrically running venues you know you're looking after people you're looking after productions and you're really gluing all of the, the pieces together and really that was what my role was as general manager on the olympics was to bring together the people to put on a big show the only difference was is that the scale of it was just far greater than i'd ever really imagined at the time uh i think we had something in the region of 90 i want to say 96 different departments that were all everything from broadcast to you know there was even a head of flags and head of lost and found it was immense it was a lot of people but essentially it was the same thing we were all you know moving in on for the same goal to try and set this up not only as a live event but as a live broadcast event and the broadcast was for i think three billion people all told so it was quite the undertaking and it was really all steered to the broadcast of course but we also had to plan for it to be for a live audience that were would be in the stadia and i think from your point of view do you think of yourself as one that has to produce something that entertains or do you think something different about what you do i mean i think what i do is invariably for me it's about leadership and and, and the, the easiest thing i think for me to explain is is that the technical impact of the things that were specific to the olympics you know you could pick that up over time the 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 thing for me was making sure that i was demonstrating my leadership skills and bringing in the right people to support the team to really drive you know the planning forward so that we were successful and that really wasn't about me knowing and doing everything um, you know, I'd even had a, an interesting conversation with, with one of our uh, functional heads one day who sort of was challenging a couple of the things that we were doing in our planning. And he asked me, you know, you don't understand this technically. You, you, this isn't your department. And I, and I at the time said, no, you're absolutely right. But that's what you're here for. I'm just here to put the glue around everybody to make sure that we're all communicating, that we're doing that correctly. And, and again, the theatres really with the number of theatres, I'd been running nine theatres in the West End at the time. And that really, you know, making sure that they were all doing the right thing and all of that really brought together, you know, the, the, the skill base, I guess, for the leadership, I think, to, to create that. So it, it was about creating, it was about, you know, not just delivering to a, a timeline and to a, a, an operational plan, but also about creating some magic. And, and with the people that were either volunteers or, or paid staff, which was in the thousands at games time, it was really about crafting something where they could get some perspective of and, and, and be bought into that we were doing a once in a lifetime event that was never going to be repeated on home soil. And it was, it was creating magic and, and, you know, the, the Olympics, they, they frame it, the Olympics up as the greatest show on earth. And it really felt like that. It was a wonderful experience. You're listening to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I am Chuck Garcia, and my host this evening is Russell Miller. Russell is co-founder of an organization called Freedom Theatricals and has recently published a wonderful book. And I want him to talk about that book in just a minute called Broadway Baby. Russell, as you embarked on your career, and you, whether you did something in the Olympics on a massive scale, or you produce a one-act play with one individual for 90 minutes. What did you learn about yourself through these years, about your leadership and the need to adapt in a world that is wholly unpredictable? 
That's a really good question, Chuck. And, and I, I think so much of that, I love the topic actually, if I'm honest, the, the aspect of being self-aware. And I, I certainly can look back and realize that in those very early days, I was definitely you know, managing, managing hard and really trying to earn my stripes. And I think as I, as I started to get more experience and started to become more confident and more self-aware, my style changed and I started listening to other people in terms of how they how they lead and and the things that influence them and affect them and and how results are achieved and uh, invariably how that's all done through people it really the biggest impact for me was just my leadership style and, and really starting to lead from the front rather than manage from within and that really started to drive massive change for me as a as a person as a as a leader and as a senior director then of the business to really understand how we can most significantly affect change and, and drive the business forward through the people and theatre is a wonderful uh, wonderful place to work and you get to meet a vast array of people that's why I've always loved living in cities and working in theatre because it's so diverse and that has been a big part of a love of mine from you know a very early age so I, I feel that getting into all of that with people was really the big learn the biggest learning point for me was 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 leading not managing what advice do you give to any of our listeners who have to work with a lot of different people who come from different walks of life but have to unify efforts in in the service of a show what is it about the human spirit that you can impart advice about dealing with the multiple types of people in order to unify those efforts that's interesting. I mean, I, I think the big thing is that we're all different. And if we can't understand and appreciate that we're all different, then there's always going to be heads that are going to butt together. And actually, the crystallization of that further, I think, is everybody has, certainly in, in whether it be the Olympics or whether it be a Broadway or West End show, everybody has a job to do. And whether that is, you know, cleaning the venue before the doors open to opening the doors to manning the phones at the stage door, to you know, doing the accounts in the office or selling the ice creams or tearing the tickets or being the lead actor on stage. Not one of those jobs uh, can, can survive without the other. And at the end of the day, those doors cannot open without everybody playing a part together. And we had, have had many discussions like this where trying to get the teams to understand the impact and the role and the significance of the part that they play within a production or within, you know, the business. And a, a really good example of that, actually, going back to the Olympics for a moment, was managing thousands of volunteers, which are not being paid. It's a very different dynamic trying to manage uh, those individuals. Some of them almost too uh, enthusiastic sometimes. We love the enthusiasm, but right now we, we have <laughs> something we need to move. <laughs> exactly and it's a, it's a very different dynamic but the, I think the interesting thing is that what we were able to explain to them in terms of you know the, the need to come together for the games particularly was that the athletes that are, are competing have been training for years to get to where they are and actually their moment of performance may only be seconds but actually that's what they've been training for that's that's their career that's what they're here for so we really really emphasize the need for everybody to do their jobs right, to make sure that the, you know, that the sport comp areas were clean and whatever the, the 
you know, comparative uh, aspects are for, for those people's jobs to say, you know, you have to let those athletes concentrate and have no distractions to their sport because they deserve the best opportunity to do the best work of their lives. And so we were blessed in that, you know, op with that opportunity to do the best work of our lives all together. And it was, it was wonderful like that. It was, everybody really did come on board and it, it was a, a wonderful journey. Well, I want to shift focus that this is a New York radio station to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. You and I are New Yorkers, so to speak. You are a transplanted New Yorker. But what, how did you make the adjustments that all of a sudden one day Broadway has gone dark and it's now seven months later and we don't know when the lights are coming back on? Walk us through how you are feeling and what you've done about all of this. Well, certainly in terms of how I'm feeling, um, I think I, I can speak on behalf of, you know, the community and saying that everybody is mortified and, you know, deeply, deeply upset by what's happening and it's affected so many. And um, that isn't something that, that is going to fix overnight, unfortunately. I think in terms of the impact, we had several productions in development at the time that everything shut down, which had a big, a big impact on us theatrically. But there are other producers that I think probably were in much worse position than us. Some shows that were active on Broadway that may never come back, will never come back. Um, so in the scheme of things, we've tried to, to be positive about our position because I think there is always someone that is, is worse off for sure. But I think we had been very lucky also in that we'd already started to pivot a, a little just in terms of our business model for Freedom Theatricals is much more about the other things that can be done to make you know theater more accessible and to to make you know theater more things to more people really and that was getting into documentaries getting into other things that support that from live streaming already so we'd started to move the needle there a little already in advance of that so you know i, I feel that we are now a little further ahead of the curve but these things take time as well and you know that it would be crazy to to say that there's been no impact on those parts either because you know that there is clearly you know everything is taking more time and there are more restrictions and there's more safety to be considered in any business that's being that's operational um so there's definitely new things to consider with my previous operational hat on you know i i, I look at this really critically and I, and I have very regular conversations with lots of the decision makers back in the uk in terms of what the next steps are for you know the future of theatre and I my heart is breaking in two with you know the conversations that are happening because there is no easy answer and as much as everybody is clearly up in arms about well certainly the lack of support that there has been for uh, for the bit for the community and, and the theatre business you know that there, there is no quick fix and and short of you know the the government coming in and, and stepping up and supporting what is a billion dollar industry a uh, billion pound industry as well uh, you know that there isn't a quick fix there as I say so for me it's really trying to just be realistic about you know what that means to us and what the constraints are for us as theatre producers uh, you know television and documentary producers as well because we need to really look at the horizon and, and still work out how we can develop and, and what we can do and whether or not there are other opportunities to to stream but also you know so much activity now is online and you know that that's great but everything does take time so we're, we're really we're really focusing on that and trying to be 
positive and trying to to look at when theatre will reopen because it will and you know this theatre's been around since I think 400 BC so this isn't its first rodeo but this is a major you know reshape in terms of, of the current climate for that and fortunately we have the internet which I think you know across the board in in all industries is, has been a godsend and saved economies already I'm sure from all sorts of trouble but it does mean that we all have to get a little bit creative in terms of how we do that and I think that's an important part of the messaging with this is that you know, it, it's probably not enough to just sort of sit and wait and be told, you know, it's all safe now, this is what's going to happen. But theatre realistically isn't going to open up until it is safe to do so, because it wouldn't be appropriate to do that. But it will happen, and hopefully that will be soon, you know, when there's a, a vaccine available or, or, you know, when there's more immediate testing that, that can put in the protocols to ensure the safety. What do we want them to think? What do we want them to feel? And what do we want them to do? And I ask that in the context of their future, their careers, doing the things that they don't expect. Sure, I, th I think an important part of what I do for a living is about creating and about the arts. And I, and I don't know that there's enough thought necessarily put into what that, the importance of that, particularly for children. And that's one of the big parts of my vision for writing the book, was to write something that would be a wonderful, authentic introduction for children to the theatre and the art. Right. So I would really just urge people to really think about what, you know, how important that is for children at such an early age, where theatre is all around us in everything that we do, and everything, you know, that we've, that we experience is in some way shape or form about storytelling and that really is where theatre is born and what it's all about so it, it's easy to write theatre off as something that isn't you know a serious industry um, but not only does it contribute hugely to the economy but it is also you know massively a part of our day-to-day -day life and that's an important part for children so I, I think uh, that's an important thing to think about is the importance of theatre. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And I think in this day and age, sometimes you don't appreciate what you have until you don't have it anymore. And here we are now with the inability to go to a live theater, even a movie theater. They're 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 still closed. But we really appreciate that. And then let's let's finish up with Broadway Bay. Where can they find it and where can they find you? Well, Broadway Baby, the Broadway Baby website, uh, broadwaybabybook.com. Uh, has got all sorts of good stuff about the book on there. Uh, it's available exclusively through Playbill in the US and through the through the book uh, website. Uh, we can get that. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's. Yeah, well, to to all of our listeners, thank you. You have tuned in to a climb to the top stories of transformation on Talk Radio seventy seven WC. I'm Chuck Garcia. My guest this evening is Russell Miller author of a beautiful book called Broadway Baby, who talks about the importance of creativity from the time that we are children, about using that wonderful talent to create something from nothing in a world where it demands that culture, where it's important to us. And I loved Russell's call to action. The theater is not something that's superfluous. It's been in our human psyche since 400 BC and will continue to do so long after this COVID crisis is over. So Russell, thank you very much for your contribution to the radio show. Thank you, Chuck.
really grateful to be joining you. Thank you. It was great to have you on the Climb to the Top Stories of Transformation. And to our listeners, you know you can reach me at chuckgarcia.com. But thank you, as always, for tuning in Sunday evening. Good night. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.